Amen. Most of us were children when we first heard about the character of Chicken Little or Henny Penny, as she's known in some other countries. But you likely know that Chicken Little was a character in a children's fable who was hit on the head one day by a falling acorn. And instead of recognizing what had actually happened, Chicken Little was convinced that the sky itself was falling. And so she went about everywhere spreading the news, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But all of the panic was for naught. Chicken Little had only been accosted by an acorn. But the story of Chicken Little became so popular, so recognizable, that even today we refer to an alarmist or a doomsayer as a Chicken Little. The American Heritage Dictionary even defines Chicken Little as a confirmed pessimist, particularly one who warns of impending disaster. And the Chicken Littles of our world get a lot of attention because fear is a very powerful motivator. If you pay attention, you see it everywhere in our culture, in our society. In fact, if you'll take note of the election taking place in this election year, you'll see that each candidate will try to convince you that you need to vote for them in order to be saved from the terrible disaster that's going to befall the country if you vote for their opponent. It's all about motivating you with fear. What frightens you the most? Is it the fear of being overrun by immigrants over our southern border? Or is it a fear of the end of democracy in the United States? Or are you afraid of human extinction when artificial intelligence makes our computers so much smarter than we are that they finally decide they don't really need us anymore and get rid of us? They talk about that as a real thing, don't they? But you know, this isn't the first time we've been afraid that computers are going to lead to our demise. 25 years ago, something happened that spawned a phenomenal spike in the population of Chicken Littles, many of whom told us to prepare for the disruptional equivalent of a falling sky. Most of you here in this room will remember the the horror, the terror, the threat of, wait for it, Y2K. You remember that? Y2K, year 2000, that's what that stood for. And those of us who were around know what the panic was all about. You see, when uh, computers were being created and coming about, the, the memory and and whatnot was very limited. They didn't have a lot of capacity. So uh, they decided they could save a little by only using two digits for the year. It was the 1900s. It was going to be a long time before the 2000s ever came around. So uh, computers weren't initially created to cope with the year changing from 1999 to the year 2000. And everyone went into a panic. It was a problem because this was going to crash all of our computers. What will we do? Oh my goodness. Well, it was 
certainly a modern problem, just like AI. And something tells me that I can't imagine anyone in AD 999 ever stopped one day and said to himself, hey, my abacus isn't going to work next year. It doesn't have enough of those little slidey things on it. What are we going to do? No, things like artificial intelligence and Y2K, they're fears that only we moderns have to cope with and have had to face. The fear of Y2K obviously turned out to be completely unfounded, as so many of our fears do. But because of that, and because it poses absolutely no threat now, no one is afraid of it now, I want to use it in this message today as a sort of a benign case study for discussing the biblical antidote to fear. Our text, as you've already heard, is in Isaiah chapter 12 today. It's just one verse, but it comes in the context of a, a messianic prophecy, if you will, starting back in chapter 11 of Isaiah, a passage you will probably recognize. We use it a good bit around Christmas time. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Uh, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion, the yearling together, and on and on. A description of the, of the wonderful experience and environment that the coming of the Messiah was expected to bring in the Jewish expectation. And uh, we know the Messiah has come in the person of Jesus Christ. A lot of the Jews have not recognized that yet, but those of us who have know that Jesus is the Messiah, our Savior. Well, in chapter 12 of Isaiah, there is a song of praise, if you will, uh, a description of, of what having the Messiah as our leader will be like. And in verse 2, there is an especially powerful verse that I want to focus the message on today. It's just one verse, so I'm not going to ask you to stand while I read it. But do please listen as I read this verse for us. It says, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Notice the verse begins and ends with salvation. And thus we can trust and not be afraid. Now I called Y2K a benign case study in fear and it's easy to do that now. In hindsight we know it was nothing. A barely a blip on the radar. But at the time, there was serious concern. The way there is a growing serious concern over artificial intelligence. In fact, then Utah Senator Bob Bennett was the chairman of the Senate Y2K Oversight Committee. And he said Y2K could be, quote, the end of Western civilization as we know it, end quote. How so? 
Well, there were the problems that were going to be caused by the bug itself. They were not insignificant, I suppose. Because computers and computer chips have found their way into every corner of our lives. They're in everything from coffee makers to credit cards. And now they're beginning to be in us. Just this week, on Monday, as a matter of fact, Elon Musk announced that his neurotechnology company, Neuralink, had successfully implanted a brain chip in a human being. The goal and the objective is to restore mobility to people who have suffered injury and paralysis. And so there has been a chip implanted in a human being. And anyone who has ever used a computer knows that they crash, that they have glitches, and how frustrating it is when they do. Uh, have you ever tried to order a hamburger in a fast food restaurant when the computer was down? They don't know what to do. There's a picture of a hamburger on the screen. They're supposed to picture it, punch it, and then slide your card through the thing and give you a hamburger. I went to get a haircut one day and went inside, and the computer system was down, and so they couldn't give me a haircut. <laughs> they told me, come back. And you know, that never happened when I was a boy in the barber shop. I always got the haircut. I had cash in my pocket. I was ready to pay, but no, had to come back. The computer was down. And you know, when I was a boy, I had a lot of hair, thick hair, and haircuts were cheap. There's something wrong now. I, <laughs> haircuts are not cheap. I think as men age, we ought to get our haircuts cheaper. Don't you, Richard? <laughs> but I digress. Um, the computers are involved in everything, and they are glitchy. We know it. Someone said one time, anyone who doesn't believe in demon possession never owned a computer. <laughs> because computers occasionally behave as if they are possessed. So imagine then the chaos that would ensue if all of the computers in the world suddenly together went on the fritz. The chicken littles tell us that if that happened, banks would shut down, utilities like electricity and water would be unavailable, airplanes would crash, communications, satellites would freeze up, telephone service would cease, food supply lines would break down, health care would be unavailable, on and on and on. You can't even get a haircut if the computers go down. I imagine a lot of that would in fact be the case if a worldwide computer meltdown actually occurred. But how afraid of that should we really be? Y2K fizzled out, turned out to be nothing. But there are still hackers, there are still ransomware attacks and electromagnetic pulses and all of the things that they say endanger our networks. In fact, just this week, Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, testified that China is preparing a massive cyber attack on our infrastructure in case they ever decide to invade Taiwan and we find ourselves tempted to come to Taiwan's defense. 
Well, you know why this little island of Taiwan is such a big deal? It's because most of the computer chips in the world are produced there. That's why it's so important. Should we be afraid? Well, personally, I think as soon as service providers began to lose money, they're going to fix their computers faster than you can say first quarter profits. But, though I never really thought Y2K was anything to worry about, there is something to worry about, if you will, and that is the fear that comes from these kinds of things. When the chicken littles give their spiel, it produces fear, and that fear can have a monumental impact. It could have done so back in the day of Y2K. Steve Hewitt, a former Baptist pastor and at the time the editor of Christian Computing Magazine, was quoted in 1999 saying, The problem is not Y2K. The problem is the fear of Y2K. He said, Fear-based Y2K issues could prove to be much worse than any technology-based problem. For example, Many of the fear mongers were telling people to take their money out of the banks for fear of losing it. But Hewitt said that if less than half of the customers of credit unions pulled just $500 more than usual from their accounts, it would cause a $6 billion deficit and cause the credit union to have to call in loans. It would create a classic run on the bank, if you will. The fear of what might happen. And so the fear of the problem becomes worse than the problem itself. And that's what prompted President Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, back in the facing the threat of the Depression, to say, the only thing, or we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Nothing to fear but fear itself, because fear can wreak havoc. What saddened me at the time of the Y2K brouhaha was that a lot of Christians were instigators of the scare and the panic that went along with it. They, they saw in that some kind of an apocalyptic sign that God's wrath was about to descend on humankind. Some of them were telling people to store up a year's worth of food and to trade all their cash for gold. And that still goes on. There are still people, fear mongers, who are proclaiming that message. Store up food. Doomsday is coming. Convert your cash to gold. My question to those folks is, where is your security anyway? Is it in your bank account or is it in your God? Or are those two things one and the same? Is your bank account your God? You know, every piece of U.S. currency you have on your person at this moment or in your piggy bank at home or your bank down on the corner, every piece has inscribed upon it the words, In God we trust. And yet, how many of us trust more in the paper or the little pieces of metal that those words are printed on than we do in the meaning of those words themselves. I think it's more than we would like to admit. 
Well, there is an antidote for the fears of Y2K and artificial intelligence and, and doomsday and all of the other kinds of things that people are trying to scare you with today. The real fix for those fears is not technological, it is not financial, it is spiritual. The fix is spiritual. Isaiah 12 verse 2 says, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. I read once that this verse was one of the famous evangelist D.L. Moody's favorite verses. He said you can travel to heaven first class or second class. First class, he said, is Isaiah 12.2, I will trust and not be afraid. Second class is Psalm 56.3, which says, When I am afraid, I will trust in thee. The implication being, it's better not to, not to entertain that fear at all. But if you do, trust in the Lord. That's how you conquer that fear in the first place. God wants us to trust in Him based on all that He's done on our behalf in the past. God has proven Himself trustworthy. And so He wants us to trust in Him. He expects us to trust in Him. He tells us over and over that He will care for us, that He will safeguard us, that He is our security, our resource. We find the antidote to fear in this statement in Isaiah 12 too. I will trust in God my Savior, and not be afraid. And yet we are so prone to do exactly the opposite. In spite of all God's done for us, we are prone to be afraid nonetheless. In May of 1995, a 34-year-old construction worker named Randy Reed was welding on top of a nearly completed water tower outside the city of Chicago. And Mr. Reed unhooked his safety gear in order to reach for some pipes when a metal cage slipped and bumped the scaffolding on which Mr. Reed was standing. The scaffolding tipped, Mr. Reed lost his balance, and he fell 110 feet, landing face down in a pile of dirt, barely missing some construction debris that certainly would have killed him had he hit it. A fellow worker called 911 when the paramedics arrived. They miraculously found Reed conscious, moving, complaining of a sore back. But his sense of humor was still intact, it seems, when the paramedics put him on a backboard, lifted him up to carry him to the ambulance. His only request was, please don't drop me. <laughs> well, they didn't. And his only injury from the fall turned out to be a bruised lung from falling 110 feet. Now sometimes you and I are a lot like that construction worker. God protects us from a fall of 110 feet and we become afraid of three foot heights. Believe me, the God who 
rescues us from spiritual death and saves us from eternal hell can safeguard us in the midst of any kind of chaos that may come our way, computerized or otherwise. We can trust in Him. He's already rescued us from something far worse. In fact, the greatest danger, the greatest threat that we ever face in all of our existence is the penalty for our own sins and the separation that we experience from God for eternity unless we take advantage of God's provision for those sins in our Savior, Jesus Christ. God is our Savior in Christ. And having saved us from that, what else should we fear? What have I to dread? What have I to fear leaning on the everlasting arms? I will trust and not be afraid. Max Lucado says, Fear doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountain. If he can rattle you enough, fear will persuade you to take your eyes off the peaks and settle for a dull existence in the flatland. Fear wants to rob us of the peace that comes from trusting God no matter what happens. If we trust in the God who is our salvation, the world itself can very literally go up in flames all around us and we will still have what the Bible calls a peace that passes all understanding. Whatever you may be afraid of, answer your fear with faith and God will take care of you. There's a wonderful example of this in the New Testament when Jesus and the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, at such peace, and uh, perhaps trying to get a little rest from all of the ministry He'd been engaged in, went and, and lay down in the back of the boat and fell asleep. And then the storm blew up on the sea, on the water, and the disciples were terrified and in a panic, they woke Jesus up and said, Don't you even care? Don't you even care that we're about to perish? And Jesus' response was, Oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And He rebuked the wind and the waves, and peace reigned on the surface of the water. Why are you so afraid, was His question. Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered, and no one was there. That's how it works. I will trust and not be afraid. Meet your fears with faith in the God who has always cared for you, loved you, and saved you. And your fears will flee into the dark. Friends, our God is God. He always has been, He always will be. We've seen that over recent weeks in talking about the, the ministry of Elijah the prophet and his, his conquest of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Our God is God. His Word is truth. And those who look to Him for salvation can trust Him and not be afraid. Let me share one more quick story with you. Gladys Aylward was a missionary to China more than 80 years ago, and she was forced to flee when the Japanese invaded Yancheng at the outset of war. With only one assistant, 
Gladys Elward let more than a hundred orphans over the mountains toward free China. It was a miraculous accomplishment. Well, in their book, The Hidden Price of Greatness, Ray Besson and Renelda Mack Hunsicker write that during that harrowing journey, Gladys grappled and wrestled with fear like she never had before. She was discouraged. She was concerned. She couldn't see any way they could possibly succeed in getting over those mountains and getting free. After a sleepless night, she, she practically lost all hope of reaching safety. But a 13-year-old girl in the group reminded Gladys of their, one of their favorite stories of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, trying to encourage her. But, but Gladys protested. She said, but I am not Moses. And this girl said, I know you're not Moses, but God is still God. And they succeeded. They made it to freedom and to safety, proving once again that no matter how fearful, how inadequate we may be, God is still God and we can trust in Him. We live in a fearful world full of people who want to, to scare you even more in order to get what they want from you. But God is our salvation. He is our strength. He is our song. So trust in Him and don't be afraid. Use the antidote to fear in your life. Trust in Him and don't be afraid. Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful for your love, for your care for us, your concern for us. God, you are not the kind of creator who would create a being and abandon it. You have not abandoned us. In the midst of a mess of our own making, you have reached out to us with salvation through your son Jesus. The penalty for our sin and lostness was taken by him on the cross. And he was raised from the dead on the third day in demonstration of the, the acceptability and the efficacy of that sacrifice on our behalf. And God, knowing that you have rescued us from the greatest threat we will ever face. I pray that you would help us trust you and not be afraid of the threats that surround us in our current world. Lord, you have promised us eternal life. Jesus himself said, whoever lives and believes in me will live even though he dies. God when these earthly tents we inhabit fail us through whatever danger or trial or concern or sickness, we have the promise of your word of a building from you, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. God, that should give us peace. May we trust in you and not be afraid, whatever may come our way. May we always keep our eyes on you 
the God who loves us and the God who has always been faithful. And we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I don't know what you may be afraid of today.